Our scripture today comes from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I cry for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I have to watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. And then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteousness, but the righteous will live by faithfulness to God even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines. And even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Betty, thank you so much. You always do a beautiful job reading for us. Well, good morning. This morning we are beginning uh, what will be a three-part series. Uh, You already heard Bruce say it's called Sensing God. And our focus during this time is going to be how do we sense God? Whether that's, I can't see you, Lord. I can't hear you, Lord. I feel like you're absent. Why are you silent? How do we see him when all of our senses are telling us that he is nowhere to be found. And because we know that there are certain times in our lives when seeing God, when, when praying to God, when just seeing his activity comes very easily. I mean, if we did an open mic time right now, there would be story after story coming from you of times when you saw God move in a powerful way, when you just knew, you sensed that he was near to you, that he was close to you, that you could hear, so to speak, his spirit talking to your spirit, his heart speaking into your heart. And sometimes uh, we, we will call those mountaintop times. 
right? When praying and praising God just comes so easily, sensing God comes easily. But there's other times, and we've already been talking about this this morning, when that does not come so easily. It's hard to see even his activity in the world. So we, um, we look around, and it is so easy to see wickedness. It is so easy to see evil at work. When we watch the news and we hear story after story of all manner of violence, like one mass shooting after another, when we hear and, and, and we read about arguing and fighting and the mean and, and cruel words that people will say to one another when it seems that evil and wickedness are just getting to have their way. You know, they're just getting to have their way in the world, and there's no accountability for it. And especially when that kind of stuff comes really close to home and it starts impacting us on a more personal level, we can find that we will just cry out in those times and say, God, where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you doing something? Because you can and you're not. You need to come and you need to make this right. And you need to do it yesterday. Fix this. That is a very common reaction that many of us have in the face of wickedness, in the face of evil, when it is very hard to see God. Uh, one of my favorite movies from the world of Harry Potter, and we have a lot of grown-up people in this room, so I don't know how many grown-up people appreciate the Harry Potter story. It was a great story, but out of that little world comes my favorite, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Does anyone else love Fantastic Beasts and Where to Sue? And all the children, right, of course, and George, yeah, absolutely, I'm just one big child, but I love, I love this movie, and if you haven't seen it, just go, just, just do yourself a favor and go watch it, but in this, what's going on is there's this evil that is wreaking havoc on an entire city, people are being killed, I mean, buildings are being destroyed, the non-magical community is now becoming aware that there's this magical community, and, and they're angry and there's there's rage and rioting on the horizon and everyone is calling for an end to this evil well of course because it's a movie and because we like all tension to be resolved it is resolved so the magical community ends up finding a way uh, to destroy this evil the evil is destroyed but there is still the problem of the the hate and the anger that is coming uh, from the other community, the non-magical community. So how would that be dealt with, right? What are we going to do about this? So our hero, Newt Scamander, awesome name, uh, he releases a magical beast called the Thunderbird, and it can control the weather. And so he releases this beast up into the sky. He causes the rain to fall. He's carrying with him a little vial of this little potion that as it falls down in the rain, it causes everybody to forget all the evil that had happened. Forget their anger, all of this. I want you to watch the clip here of the end of the movie.
Oh, and great music, by the way. I mean, just just go and just listen to the music. But did you see what was happening? Like in an instant, everything is made right. As that rain falls down and everyone's forgetting, did you even notice the front of the newspaper? The, the, the news changed. History rewritten. It's all gone. It's like it never happened. And wouldn't it be nice if we had people with magic wands to just come back and just put everything back into place and fix it all, make it go away. I think that this is how we would prefer that God would treat the problem of evil that we see, especially when it's all, it's messing up my life when it's getting in my business god why don't you come out with your magic wand and you just make it all right just put everything back in place make me forget the pain of of the problem of evil that is surrounding me and when he doesn't do that when he doesn't come and act like that that's when our question is like why don't you why don't you do something? Where are you? I can't, I can't even see you. So the scriptures we heard this morning are from the book of Habakkuk. Now, if you have your Bible with you or if you have your phone with your Bible app, I'm going to encourage you to get there, get to Habakkuk. We are largely unfamiliar with Habakkuk. We don't know how to say it. We don't know how to spell it. We don't know what it's about. I found it funny that when I looked it up on my Bible app, they don't even try to spell it out. It's H-A-B period. I mean, like they didn't even try because who knows how you're going to see it when you look it up on your phone. But look, we're just going to go through these scriptures that we heard this morning and we're going to see what Habakkuk has to say to us about how we're going to live in this world that is full of wickedness and evil and and, and how we can kind of find our place in that. So who was Habakkuk? He was a prophet who lived in the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, in the last decades before they were taken into their captivity in Babylon. So what does that mean? It means that he's living in the most wicked times of this nation because it is right before that judgment for their wickedness is going to happen. Okay, this is where he was, and this is what he was dealing with. Habakkuk was very well aware of the wickedness among God's people, and so he goes to God with his concern with what seemed to him to be no accountability, unchecked wickedness, getting to just like have its way among God's people. And when he looked around his nation and his community, what he saw was this huge incongruence with who God had called them to be and how they were actually living and how they were actually treating others. When he looked around, he saw destruction and violence. He saw arguing and fighting. He saw the law being manipulated and distorted. He saw that, that justice wasn't even being considered Sometimes He saw that the, the wicked far outnumbered the people who were wanting to live by God's will and God's ways. And so he cried out to God for God to do something. And we heard this in verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help but you don't listen? Cry, how long do I have to cry to you? Violence. You don't save. Like, why do I have to look at this injustice day after day? Why are you tolerating this? 
So in verse 5, we see God answer this first complaint that Habakkuk has. And he says, hey, I'm very well aware of the wickedness that's going uh, around among my people. And I am going to do something about it. In fact, you see Babylon, this fierce and terrifying nation, they're on the move. Um, I'm going to use them to correct my people and discipline my people. Babylon, this prideful an idolatrous nation just full of wickedness that brought destruction and terror as they just took nations captive. God says, yeah, I'm going to deal with this. And so Habakkuk says, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good plan. I'm finally just glad to see you're going to do something about this. Good talk. Is that what he said? Uh, That is so not what he said. You look in your scripture. This is what he says. In Susan's words, this is what he says. You have got to be kidding me. They are so much worse. They are so much worse. How can you, a pure and holy and good God... Let that happen. Let, how can you let people so wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are you going to let them get away with their wickedness forever? Or how long are you going to allow them to succeed in all of their heartless conquests? Right? I'm not sure that at this point Habakkuk is feeling much better about his original question. <laughs> what is going on here? So his big question becomes, how can you, a good God, let this happen? Now, I don't want you to miss this because it's right here that Habakkuk, right, a holy man, full of deep faith and conviction, a prophet of God, he is struggling with reconciling the goodness of God with the evil he sees in the world around him. Lord, how do I reconcile your goodness with the fact that there is so much evil and wickedness and trauma in this world and it looks to me like you're not doing anything about it? This is where he was. Can anybody relate to Habakkuk's question? How do I reconcile good God with the evil world. Maybe just watching the news triggers that for you. Maybe you've gone through or are going through something that was so difficult and maybe it was caused by someone else. You know, I don't know where God just seems silent. He just doesn't seem like he's doing anything about it. These are serious and valid questions and Habakkuk had those serious invalid questions but what I really want you to see is that he took those questions to God and he approached him in complete honesty it is never a bad idea to be completely honest with God never a bad idea he desires our honesty and I believe that he appreciates anyone who would be willing to come to him in full honesty with whatever complaint or lament or doubt that you would have. Habakkuk did that. He poured out all of his questions. He poured out his complaints. He poured out doubts, his lament, poured it all out before God. But I want you to pay attention to what he did next because he didn't throw all that out there and then turn around and walk away from God. 
He left his complaints with God, and then he waited to see what God would say. Look in chapter 2, verse 1, and listen to the verbs, the intentionality with what he's saying. I will climb up to my watchtower, and I will stand at my guard post, and there I will wait to see what the Lord says. New Revised Standard Version says this way, I will stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk lodged his complaints and then he would patiently and with intention wait and seek what God would say. He was positioning himself to see. Positioning himself to see. When we find ourselves questioning God or, or we're wondering about our difficult circumstances and, and the evil and the suffering that we see around us in the world, when we struggle to sense God because of all of that, when all those kinds of situations cause us to have questions and doubts, will we at least be willing to take our doubts and take our complaints and take our questions to God in full honesty? And then will we be willing to wait and watch for him to answer? Will we position ourselves to see what God has to say about it? Habakkuk says he's going to be like a man on a watchtower. You know, he got himself up above the chaos. He gets himself up above it, and he's going to scan the horizon to wait and see and look for what God would say. So my question for all of us this morning is how do we need to get ourselves above some chaos? You know, are we so wrapped up in it, and all our focus and all of our energy and everything is just like, on the difficult and on the bad and all we're just like we're stuck in it but how can we at least take a step back rise up above it for a moment take all of the questions we have about it to God position ourselves before him and patiently wait and watch to see what he will speak into it what he will do in that situation what he will say to his child who is waiting before him Will we do that? That is what Habakkuk did. Not demanding an answer and not demanding that God do something in one specific way, but just being open to hear whatever God would say. And so God does answer again. He says, Habakkuk, write this down. In the scriptures, it says, write it on tablets so it's plain to see. It's a common practice, how they would communicate to people, write things on these big tablets and like post them so people could see them. Write it clearly so people will know how to run. It's like so a runner may read it, and a lot of scholars are saying that that means so someone will know how to run this race faithfully. So those who want to run with me, they will understand how to do it. Like, like Habakkuk, I need you to get this out there because you're not the only one who's going to need to know this. So let's get it out there. And then he says three things that I see. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says, trust me, be patient, and live faithfully. Trust me. Habakkuk, I will deal with evil. I will deal with wickedness. And there is an appointed time for all of that to happen, but it may not happen immediately. 
but you need to know that I am at work. You need to know that I see it. Trust me. I am good, and I will. It might not happen immediately, so be patient. Be patient. If it seems slow in coming, if it seems to tarry, wait for it. Look, I cannot emphasize enough how important patience is to the life of faith. And I think patience is hard for us. Who finds patience super easy? Exactly. So patience is hard for us. And this is why I think it's hard for us. Because self-control is hard for us. Because think about it. Patience is about not acting. Right? It's like being self-controlled to not act. Um, When we create more problems by rushing ahead of God and acting out of our own wisdom and doing what we think is best. I mean, you do not have to look very far in Scripture to see how this is true. And you probably do not have to look very far in your own life to see how that has played out. How you're rushing ahead and you acting, you know, without thinking or without wisdom or without waiting on God has led to some, some more difficulty than you needed in your life. Think about how Genesis 3 describes what humanity's biggest problem was. Lack of trust in God and lack of self-control. There Adam and Eve are. They're in this garden, surrounded by all things beautiful with only one boundary. Do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. But in comes the enemy, the liar... The deceiver who tells them in Genesis 3 verse 4, basically, no, you're not going to die if you eat from that tree. God just knows that you'll become like him. You'll be like God's. In other words, God's lied to you. You can't trust him. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. And then the doubt seeps in. Maybe he's not good. And then comes the lack of trust. And then we see the lack of self-control follow shortly thereafter in verse 6. When Eve took some of the fruit and she eats it, she gives it to her husband and he eats it. God says to Habakkuk, trust me. You let that lie, that doubt sink in, that maybe I'm not good. You're going to start trusting yourself. And there is nothing good that comes out of that. Trust me. Be patient and wait for me to act. And then he says, live faithfully. Live a life of faithfulness to me. God explains, look, the proud, the wicked, they trust in themselves. And their lives are wicked as a result. And they're never satisfied. And they're going They're going to pay. I mean, like, it's going to catch up with them. That kind of living is going to catch up with them. But the righteous, those who choose to trust me and and wait for me and live life faithfully according to my will and my ways, they're going to live. And so Habakkuk's question, what I want you to see, his initial question of God, why don't you act? Why don't you do something? It's just turned over on its head. And the question is not anymore, God, why don't you act? But it's like, how am I going to act? Who am I going to be? What kind of life am I going to live? Will I contribute 
to wickedness? Will I be someone who just pours some more of that out into the world? Or what I think could be even worse sometimes, will I just become irrelevant? We as followers of Christ need to hear this. Are we going to be irrelevant and just hide away and shrink back and just not do anything? Or will we contribute to this world love and light because we are trusting God and we are waiting for him and we're choosing faithfulness and we're choosing the right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing because we believe God is good. And we listen to his voice and his leading. Will I contribute his love and his light to this world? Habakkuk chose to trust in the Lord. This is where he gets. We see this declaration of trust. Uh, We heard it chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. But that is on the heels, the first part of that chapter, of this beautiful, this long and beautiful prayer that he offers up to God and he recounts how God has saved his people from their slavery in Egypt. Even though in Habakkuk's time, that was more like just a rumor than it was something that people were like, right, God's our savior, right? But he lifts that up as an image for the future and basically says, you've saved us once, Do it again. Do it in our time. Come and free us and save us. Revive your name among your people and among the nations. And he holds that event up. And he uses that remembrance of what God had done in the past and who God was to say God will once again defeat evil and he will bring justice and he will rescue the oppressed and the innocent. And so in light of that, he chooses his trust. And he says, even though the worst thing that could happen, happens. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vines, the olive crop fails, the fields lie empty and barren. Even though flocks die in the fields because they're going to come in and just like rake over all of our land. Even if the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in who? The God of my salvation. My God is a God who saves. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Habakkuk was living between the times. He was living between the promise, I will deal with evil and make things right, and the fulfillment of that that promise. He was right there in the middle. We are living very much between the times. We're further down the timeline than Habakkuk was because 
Because here we are, Christ has come. Christ has risen from the dead. Christ has defeated sin and evil and wickedness, dealt them their final blow, creating a reality that they have no power over us. They have no power. Angry, angry, swirling around, thinking they're going to actually win. I mean, Christ, because of what he's done, has said, you have no power over my child who trusts in me. And I am Savior. We live there. But you know, even though we have that, we have Christ as our strength, we still have not seen the final fulfillment of all things being made right. New heaven, new earth. We're between the times. So we have the same choice. Will I live faithfully? Will I trust in the God of my salvation? Will I let him be my strength? Will I make those choices? That is the life Habakkuk chose to live. And that is the example that we have for him. So how do I sense God in difficulty? I trust God. I wait patiently on him. I live a life of faithfulness. And when it's still getting hard, you know what? I remember. I remember. I recount the ways that God has been faithful in the past. And I trust and believe that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's done it once, he'll do it again. Look in Scripture and see and read about his faithfulness. Look in your life. And recount where you've seen him act and work. And praise him for who he is. And do not let the enemy snatch that away from you. God is good. He is good. And he is for you. He's for you. He will never leave you. Never. He does save. And he will save. And through Christ, he has broken the power of sin and evil and wickedness over your life. You are strong. Because Christ is strong in you. He has never failed. And he is not going to start now. Trust in him. For he is good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and you're powerful. And the enemy would love for us to look at his activity and believe that he is stronger. And that he's what's true. But Lord, you are stronger. And you are what's good. And evil will not win. It has not won. You have won. And every time, Lord, you strengthen your children to rise above it and to act in trust and to wait patiently on you and to live faithfully anyway, you win. Your spirit, Lord, empowers us and we thank you. For that, we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us your eyes, help us see your activity. When it's hard and it's dark and it just seems like the opposite is true, remind us of your faithfulness. May we put our trust in you. 
And may we be ones who bring light and life into this world while we wait, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.